gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by The Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Um, I'm a little trepidatious today because we have one of my favorite uh, people, favorite colleagues at the American Enterprise Institute, um, noted Russia scholar, author of many books, including a biography of Boris Yeltsin, um, Leon Aaron. And he is returning to the Remnant today, but that might sound strange to some close students of remnant lore because he's never showed up in anyone's podcast feed that is because we did an entire episode about a a year and a half ago somewhere in the meaty part of the pandemic and recorded the whole conversation future of russia future of putin democracy all this stuff and then the audio just vanished into the ether and um unfortunately i'm convinced that the FSB or some other Russian bot or hacker group has done something to Leon's computer that makes it difficult for us to use our normal software to record this podcast. So we had to record a Zoom call. So the audio may be a little less than normal if Caleb cannot do the voodoo that he do so well. Um, so I want to apologize for that in advance. And beyond that, let's get started uh, with Leon Aaron. Okay, so Leon, thank you so much for coming back. The gremlins don't like want to keep you from doing this, but uh, we will persevere. Um, sort of Russian cyber warfare, probably. I, I, I don't think you can rule it out, frankly. <laughs> um, uh, so why don't we just start big picture? You know, we're recording this on Tuesday, January twenty fifth, around noon. What is your read on the situation with Ukraine in the context of where NATO, you know, the, just big picture, lay it out for, for us where you're yeah, coming Jonah, from. Yeah, the big picture is, is this, and I think this is, this is the fundamental disjoint um, with, with, with my understanding of what the White House is doing. But I never thought from the very beginning, I said Putin is not going to invade Ukraine. Um, and the reason for that is very simple. His domestic audience does not want another Afghanistan. You could, you could certainly, uh, I mean, there'll be an initial victory when he will bomb out, literally, um, uh, whatever, whatever concentration of um, Ukrainian army there is, and maybe bomb Kiev. But that's, you know, Ukrainians proved, certainly in World War II, that they're, they're, they're absolutely fierce and fear, fearless guerrillas, uh, partisans. Uh, plus, you know, he cannot possibly um, annihilate the entire army. And by a recent poll, every third Ukrainian said that they would take up arms. <laughs> now, it's a nation of 44 million people. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to, to uh, have an initial victory, but then you have to occupy and hold. The last, Putin, the last thing Putin needs as he is on his way to essentially... Um, presidency for life in 2024 he'll be 72 another six years 78 another six years 84 uh the the last thing he needs to hold on to whatever support he has now um and the recent polls show that 42 percent of russians don't want him as president in 2024 so the last thing he needs is a soviet repeat is a repeat of the soviet afghanistan why this evades um, um, the White House, NATO, why every time he moves a tank brigade here, 
uh, and artillery there. I mean, he's, he's rearranging the chessboard, but nothing really changes. Um, we jump. Um, I mean, unless, again, unless this uh, analysis of mine is completely wrong um, and he's going to invade, yes. But I just, I just don't see how he can do it. He, this is, he's a very astute guy and his, his key audience is not NATO, is not Biden, is not the EU, it's his domestic audience. All right, so let me, let me clarify on that then. I mean, I've read a bunch of stuff about how maybe he doesn't actually want to take Ukraine whole, but there's all these water and resource things about the part he's already taken um, and the Donbass portion or whatever. Um, if he got that much, wouldn't that, you know, the, wouldn't that be a major accomplishment and, and, and not the scenario that you're painting about holding Ukraine like it was Afghanistan? Okay. So, so Jonah, if you look at the map, right, where he's standing now, there's the, the river Dnieper. If he goes west of Dnieper, that's towards Kiev, uh, Kharkov, the largest cities. If he goes east of Dnieper, and that's the scenario that you describe, and that's legitimate, essentially north to south, uh, yes, he'll create the so-called corridor to Crimea, which he doesn't have now. He'll get to the Sea of Azov, a Mariupol, and it's a much smaller piece of land to hold. But that's, I, I mean, I think he will start incurring um, maybe, maybe not on the same scale, but he'll start incurring incessant um, uh, 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 casualties from Ukrainian sniping. Uh, and, and, and believe me, <laughs> you know, once you occupy any withdrawal, um, any relinquishment of that territory would be a huge domestic problem for him. Uh, so, you know, they love Putin when he wins quickly and elegantly. Uh, uh, as Stalin used to say, on somebody's territory with little blood. Uh, uh, incidentally, uh, Putin now, the first time after Stalin's death, assumed Stalin's rank, the supreme commander-in-chief. No Soviet leader did it. Uh, Putin just revels in, revels in this sort of thing, loves it. Um, so so um, th th that is in his mind. Yes, that is uh, a possibility, but um, I'm not sure that, 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 that even that is worth um, uh, uh, risking his domestic support. Let me read something to you, Jonah. Um, he, has, he holds um, annual press conferences, a huge event, four and a half hours, five hours, where he talks to the people. And there was a question asked of him about uh, what... Well, what about uh, Russia getting um, uh, in war with Ukraine? And he says, this is, even, even the phrase itself cause, causes me horror. I'm translating literally. How can anybody think about this? How can anybody give an order for a Russian soldier to shoot at the Ukrainian soldier? Now, Putin does not have a blameless, you know, a, a, a clean record of truth-telling. Um, and, of course, they did shoot at the Ukrainian soldiers in 2014, 2015, maybe not from guns, but certainly from, from artillery and tanks and killed quite a few. Um, but that question would not have been asked if it was not programmed. And it's one thing to tell 
the West, whom he despises, we can get into that, and Biden. But it's another thing to promise what six, seven million people who are watching him that he would never attack Ukraine. I think that that's something we should pay attention to. Okay, so if he was never planning on invading Ukraine and never he, planning on a mass scale, no, no. Um, what's he up to? What okay. what what, what is right. what's right. his game plan? All right. So so Johnny, you remember, right? He's a judoka. He's a judo enthusiast. And a former Leningrad champion, by the way. Um, and um, it, he knows that for the most part, um, you don't win um, a judo match. Uh, there's a hundred point match, it's called a throw. You win by 10 points, there is a name for it, and, for, and by one accumulation of points. So, what has he accumulated so far? Well, his most important audience, as I said, his domestic audience. Two things happen there. First, Remember, Jonah, what they sell them in, 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 on, on Russian TV is totally different from what we're seeing. To them, it's a defensive war. To them, the, the narrative is um, Ukraine, armed and egged on by the United States, is about to either attack Russia or attack Crimea or attack Donbass. He is there just in case to protect uh, Russia or, you know, Crimea or 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 the uh, compatriots in Donbas. So he can always he can always say this is this is my problem with giving him a, what's that called off ramp, uh, <laughs> helping him to save face. You know all those cliches. He doesn't need to save face. He can say I scared them. They retreated. The second thing that he already scored with his domestic audience is having the U.S. president on a string. I mean, you know, I think you and I talked about this. Uh, it goes all the way back to Stalin and through all the Soviet leaders. Every time you sit as an equal with an American, the American president, you get a tremendous domestic boost because ultimately to the Russians, there's only one country that counts. There's only one man that counts, and that's the American president. And so he scored those two things. Beyond that, look at what's happening. Uh, uh, the he, his demand that um, NATO scales down the exercises, military exercises, uh, his demand that, that NATO, um, or the United States in this case, um, uh, limits or perhaps cancels the deployment of middle-range missiles uh, in Europe. Uh, by the way, he, is, he always points out to the anti-missile, I'm sorry, anti uh, Right, anti-missile defense in already deployed in part in Romania and Poland um, because he says, oh, they could be reprogrammed and attack Russia. So something might happen there. Um, maybe reciprocally, uh, fine, but, but he will get um, um, his, his fears or fantasies allayed that way. And of course, the final thing, Jonah, and that, that really is kind of morally probably the most offensive, um, he is blackmailing on the West into forcing Ukraine to implement the so-called Minsk II agreements, which in essence um, <laughs> creates a, a Trojan horse, a Russian protectorate on the territory of Ukraine in Donbas, but not just there. It, it, they, they have delegates, um, they have all the rights. They will be sending delegates to the Rada, which is the uh, Ukrainian parliament, 
of course, where they block anything that, that remotely you, uh, looks like a direction. But if not, he can always pull the string um, and, and restart the war from that region. Meanwhile, Ukraine is a bleeding state. Maybe it's not a failed state, it's a bleeding state. And of course, keeping it a bleeding state and, and a failed state is the ultimate goal here because Putin cannot tolerate, his regime cannot survive um, a stable, economically uh, prosperous, a politically stable and, and Western-looking Ukraine. Um, I, I want to switch to what you think of how Biden's responded to this, but I just want to back up to one thing. Um, you initially talked about this comparison of like Ukraine to Afghanistan and Putin doesn't need another Afghanistan. And I've, I've read roughly 1% of the Russian history that you've read, but, um, I seem to recall quite a bit about Slavophiles, about pan-Slavism, um, it seems to me I would just have assumed as a matter of sort of political common sense that killing Ukrainians would play much worse than killing Afghans just because they're seen, you know, I mean, the, for a lot of Russian history, Ukraine was the heart of the Russian empire, right? Um, what is the actual feeling of Russians for Ukrainians and vice versa these days? Well, uh Jonah, you pointed to something very interesting there. It's sort of Putin in part, sort of not exactly, you know, uh, uh, blown up on his own petard, but kind of, kind of around it, you know, he may be. Because just the other year, uh, last year, he published an article where he said, we're the same people. The Ukrainians said, no, 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 we're not. Uh, oh, no, no, we are, we are. Um, and, and we, I think the phrases there were, uh, a Ukraine without Russia does not exist. Um, we are joined at the hip. Um, we are the same people. So I think that's in part why he asked for that question um, that I read to you, or I read the answer, to, to say that, no, 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 that's, that's a horror he cannot imagine. Um, exactly. It, it, you know, well, Putin traces... Um, the so-called thousand-year Russia, and of course that's historically very dubious, to, <laughs> to a Viking by the name of Voldemar, who of course became Saint Vladimir, um, and who established a nice little trade post in a place called Kiev. Well, because he, he I, I think he went from paganism, I think there was a short flirtation with Islam, but in any case, at some point, he became a Christian. Um, and so that's what Putin points out to, oh, the, the birth of our religion, the birth of Russia is Kiev. Um, this is the mother, it, that's actually a cliche, the mother of all Russian cities. So, so absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and don't forget, Jonah, the, just the pure human connections. I mean, I don't know how many Russians have relatives in Ukraine. I'd say several million. Um, and vice versa. There are several million Ukrainians in Russia. So that is, in addition to just the pure bloodshed and the pure casualties, um, it, it, it poses a, a very, you know, large moral dilemma for Putin. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, they're very different places, but I lived in Prague for a while, in the very, you know, shortly after the Berlin Wall came down, and there was talk about the Czechs and the Slovaks splitting back then. And every Czech I talked to said, I right, let them go. I mean, like, I'm not going to kill 
Slovaks to stay in my country. What are you crazy? <laughs> I'm not going to get my kids shot to, you know, if they want to go, let them go. We got all the money anyway. And um, I have to assume that there's culturally the connection between Ukrainians and Russians is so profound and rich and images of dead Ukrainians. Not to say that images of dead Afghans is not in the eyes of God. It's just as terrible, but from a cultural perspective, it just seems like a very different thing. Um, so, uh, all that said, so you, you think that Putin never planned on invading Ukraine. What is your take about why Biden has responded the way he has and how would you have responded differently? Well, Jonah, I, I, I'm truly puzzled. Um, I, I, I sort of, you know, if I had him here, I, I sort of would have grabbed him by little pals and say, who's advising you? I mean, first of all, I mean, you have the CIA, you have all those agencies. Can somebody tell you, and I think it's a part of a larger problem, uh, Jonah, it, it, the so-called realists never look at the domestic regimes. All they, all they count is cannons, personnel, missiles, who is positioned where? Well, yeah, if you, if you look at it this way, then 100,000 troops on Ukrainian water means invasion. Uh, it's a puzzle to me. And the second puzzle to me, all right, so you think that he's going to invade. Um, you spoke to him once. You spoke to him twice. I counted, Jonah, he spoke to him at least eight or nine times, which is an absolute record <laughs> since the establishment of U.S.-Soviet relations in the mid-1930s. Nobody spoke to the Russian or Soviet leader with such frequency about <laughs> eight or nine times in 12 months. It, and, and, and like I said, again, I guess nobody's telling him that, that this, is, this boosts people, uh, boosts Putin enormously domestically. And it really defaces kind of the, 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 the value of the office of, of the American president. Uh, I, the other day I heard that they're planning another summit. What, for what? What does he think Putin is going to tell him that he already doesn't know? So, so that kind of, to be honest, it's, it's just, a, just not a very attractive, uh, 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 you know, uh, picture to see. And, and again, it, it, even from the technical point of view, from the point of view of diplomacy, why jump every time Putin pulls a string? I, I don't understand this. This is, this, like I said, it's, it's, um, it's you know, it, 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 it does not really add anything to our understanding of Putin. Certainly does not sway Putin. Um, it's beyond me. The, another thing here is that, well, you know, I don't need to tell you, right? What was that minor incursion? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I wrote somewhere that it's, uh, you remember when, when uh, 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 Chamberlain said um, that, uh, you know, after all, why do we need to, to get involved in a, in a conflict between peoples we know, in a country so far away, but peoples we know so little about? Okay, it's not of that scale. Uh, and, and, What's on the other side is not what was uh, uh, on the on the on the other side of, of of Chamberlain, but it's sort of similar. I mean, what is a minor incursion? Uh, um, you know that 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 probably was extremely dispiriting to um, to the Ukrainians. Yeah, I know. So part of my take on that also is that if whether or not Putin wants to invade, one thing we we do know about Putin from plenty of experience is he likes to sow discord in Western democracies. 
And even though they cleaned it up and they took it back and they said invasion is invasion is invasion, the simple fact is, right or wrong, fairly or unfairly, if Putin does do a minor incursion now, the American right <laughs> will, with some legitimacy, say, you invited him to do this and your cleanups don't matter. And it will undermine any response that Biden can have in terms of like unify, having a unified front for foreign policy during a crisis, precisely because it just was it's this political gift to Biden's opponents that, you know, and particularly in this climate will be exploited regardless and got him nothing. I mean, it was just it was a very weird it was a give, give away, uh, which reminds me, Jonah, remember I told you about, you know, various judo points that he accumulates in this match. Well, one of the key points is that he tested in vivo um, the coherence of NATO and found it, to use the biblical term, wanting. I mean, look what, look what's happened, what happened. So, so, and this was, you know, don't dismiss this. That, that, that may very well uh, have been on Putin's mind. Why don't I try? See what happens. What kind of coherent, effective, united response uh, NATO could master? And we saw what happened. I mean, Blinken goes there. Biden calls everybody. The Ger Germany is dissenting. Uh, 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 the French president says, oh, we should have our own policy. Um, that is very valuable, Jonah. And that, to me, by the way, is probably one of the saddest thing about this adventure, because I think eventually, once he gets, you know, uh, something from, from, uh, from the West, once he, you know, gets certain of his fantasies, sick fantasies allayed uh, by concessions or kind of mutual uh, um, uh, reciprocal concessions to each other, he will demobilize those troops. I mean, they will go away or, or they will be on the standby for a couple of more months, but, but that knowledge will stay with him. And, and you know, he is no longer um, the, the golden boy of his first two terms, where the Russian incomes from 2000 to 2008, largely because of the price of oil going from $18 to $140, but because also Yeltsin served him a, a privatized economy on the silver platter with with, you know, with the banks, with the stock markets, with the privatized um, enterprises, um, the incomes grew 9%, 10% a year. Um, that would account for his absolutely incredible popularity. That all stopped uh, 2012, 2013. It certainly is completely gone now because of the obvious structural reasons. And, and, and you know, this is, this is something that top Russian economists, including Putin's close friends, um, it's not a secret, you know. Uh, courts for sale, no enforcement of the of the um, um, property rights. Um, uh, you know, entrepreneurs constantly put in jail uh, uh, or, or you know, subject to kangaroo courts by either competitors or a local governor. Um, uh, you know, total corruption because there's no freedom of speech, um, and, and the press is completely gone um, as far as the criticism of the government. Uh, with some little places in, on the internet, um, and so on and so forth. And if, oh, by the way, complete, well, not complete, but, but very significant um, reetitization or, or recapture by the state of the economy, uh, about two-thirds now back. Uh, Yeltsin handed him the economy 
a third uh, a state, two thirds private, it's now reversed. So all of that, um, you know, they, they are now saying quite openly, if we grow one, maybe 2% in the next, as far as the eye could see, uh, we should be happy, regardless of the price of oil, which is very interesting, because those structural impediments are so huge that even the higher price of oil is not gonna lift um, the Russian economy. So, so what he did was very clever around 2012, 2013, when he was um, about to take, well, in the run-up and then in his third presidency, he began to shift the foundation of his legitimacy from, uh, uh, you know, increased income and, 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 and economic progress to what some of my Russian colleagues called militarized patriotism. Uh, I am, okay, I'm no longer a distributor, a manager of wealth, but I'm, I'm your defender. I'm defending you. And it was extremely consistent. Now, uh, Jonah, I mean, you, you can't, you know, read something in the Russian media or watch something on TV. It's a total hysteria. I mean, from the Duma deputies to his top uh, aides, you know, Minister of Defense, Secretary of Security Council, um, uh, General Staff, um, Chief of General Staff, we're at war. I mean, we're at war with America. It's not yet, you know, a hot war, but we're definitely at war. And, and so the, the, the Russians are now talking daily. I mean, it became a daily occurrence to talk about war. And, and incidentally, the fear of war now is where it was in 1987. So, so we're back to that, and, and he's exploiting it, and this is part of the whole exercise. Um, I want to I get back to what Biden should do in a second, but another just sort of factual question. I know I've read a lot about, and I, I hear you saying about how Putin has tightened the authoritarian grip on civil society and free speech and the press and all that. How do they, but you also said about how there were polls that you seem to credit as being reliable. How do you do polling in Russia, in Putin's Russia? I mean, just how does that work? <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, so there is one place uh, called Levada Center, which, I mean, I, I know the director, he was uh, Lev Gutkov, who was, you know, one of my authors um, of, of, of a recent, um, you know, uh, monograph um, that I invited to contribute. A very bright, very courageous man. That whole outfit is, is very courageous. Um, you probably heard that essentially now anybody whom uh, the authorities don't like is declared a foreign agent. You declare the foreign agent, you cannot even defend this. You can go to court, but that doesn't matter. Um, you pay an enormous fine. Uh, you are identified. In other words, if somebody quotes you, they have to say, declare the foreign agent. <laughs> um, and and uh, uh, the Levada Center surprisingly survives. Now, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a separate story. I think Putin figures he needs at least one more or less truthful outfit. Um, uh, there are other polling stations, and they're very wobbly. Uh, um, uh, so, but the Levada Center survives. And apparently, from what, you know, Lev Gutkov told me, people are still, you know, they give, um, I said, well, what's the percentage? Uh, he said, well, maybe 1%, 2% skew their answers to, to please the, or because of fear. But for the most part, they tell you the truth. They believe that those things are anonymous. Um, and that's how we arrived at the number of 42%, not wanting Putin to stay after 2024. Um, and that is something that 
key takes into consideration. And that is something, by the way, uh, I think uh, that would account for a repeat of, what, of that militarized drama that he's enacting. However, this ends, wait six months, wait another year, get closer to the 2024, and he will do something else, except that now he feels that he probed NATO and, and really he can go farther than that. So um, we covered how what Biden did was ill-advised, um, but what should he have done? What should have been the response to 100,000 troops on the border? Um, should we have just moved our troops, you know, in response? Is this just a show of solidarity? What, what, what should so, have happened? So uh, just, just to be on the record, I said it before, but I just read, I strongly recommend, read... Um, um, a time interview with Alexei Navalny, uh, you know, Putin's, you know, nemesis, uh, the man of incredible courage. He talks about how, what they do to him in jail. Um, and, and I was gratified to see the same thing. So, so at the time I said, why escalate it to the White House? The response should have been this, um, not at the level of the White House, not at the level of the uh, National Security Council, a spokesperson, for the State Department or the Pentagon or both. Say something like this. Um, we are concerned that, you know, the, 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 the um, troops or the, the movement of troops of this scale is occurring. However, um, um, the Russian authorities are telling us that they have the right, which is, you know, they did say, they have the right to position their troops however they want within their borders. Uh, we must agree, uh, yes, that's their right. Uh, we are watching with concern, um, but uh, at, at the moment, we feel that there is um, uh, no, no emergency actions should be taken. Uh, again, you know, I said it, I thought it, I, and, then, and then, you know, of all the people, I think Navalny is pretty credible. That would have taken so much wind out of Putin's uh, uh, sails. First of all, that 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 would not have been a test, test of NATO. Secondly, with the domestic audience, you know, there's nothing worse when the American president ignores you. Again, Jonah, if, 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 it, if it comes to that, um, then, then yes, I mean, we could have always, you, you know, we would have always retooled and, 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 and went into, the emergen into an emergency mode. But why, you know, why go all out uh, when, when the man is obviously, you know, when you don't know what he's going to do and when, and again, you know, I don't want to go on that, on the tangent again, but you know, when, when his domestic audience is not likely to stand for a large scale invasion, that should have been the right response. Okay. So that alas did not happen. <laughs> and, um, we are where we are. Um, Let's say, which much to the detriment of the White House, I think is factually the case, that they are not about to make you, and forgive the wordplay, the <laughs> Russia policies are. Um, but um, <laughs> right. uh, but let's, let's sort of assume that you are handed this giant mess now. What, what is to be done now on the part of the United States? Yeah, well... Right, nothing like assuming responsibility for somebody else's blunders. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's true. Just one one anecdote. 
my dad served in the military uh, right around right after Korea, and he was stationed in Japan. And his commanding officer was one of the first black officers to command white troops because you know Truman had just desegregated the desegregated, military right, right. Within, within the last year or whatever. And my dad really liked this guy, really admired him. And at one point, he told my dad, he said, Goldberg, let me give you a piece of advice. It is always better to be on the committee that says, this must never happen again. <laughs> which I think is a key bureaucratic insight, you know, which allowed him to rise. That's very good. The military. That's very good. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're deep now. We exposed the weaknesses of NATO uh, for everybody to see, but who cares about everybody so long as Putin sees it? Um, I guess from this point on, I mean, last few days, given the, given the mess we got into, I think the, you know, the thing, the, 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 the track is okay. You know, the UK is sending um, anti-tank, anti-aircraft um, uh, missiles, uh, we are sending or preparing to send troops to Eastern Europe. Uh, uh, the Germans <laughs> are forbidding Estonia to transfer uh, German-made weapons to Ukraine. Um, I think the evacuation of, of, of the U.S. diplomats uh, from Kiev was a mistake. Um, we're running. Um, uh, but I think at this point, Jonah, there's really very little that that can be done uh, i mean he he's he's scored all over the place um the the only i mean how the, the the question now again he holds all the cards the question now is this does he think he has enough of or he has accumulated enough of of the domestic political bounds to say all right okay we can't agree on the, on the two things that, that were probably non-starters to begin with. That is Russia's veto on, on the NATO membership and, and NATO, um, uh, uh, you know, essentially withdrawal from, from Eastern Europe. Okay, uh, how about we go for the things we could agree on? And, and I mentioned them before. Maybe a reciprocal um, descaling or, or minimizing or diminishing uh, the scale of the military exercises on both sides. Uh, let's do something about missiles um, and and give us something. Uh, so far, you know, as far as I know, when Lavrov and again, this is another thing. How many times did Blinken meet Lavrov? Uh, I lost, I lost track. Uh, and of course, nothing happened because because Lavrov doesn't know what's going on. He is, not, he is not there to define anything. There's only one man that knows, and he doesn't trust Lavrov. Um, it's, it's the FSB, uh, his, his top guys to, that, that were with him from the 70s um, in the KGB that, that, that decide everything. There are three or four of them, and we know their names because they were in the same room with Putin on the 27th of February when he moved to Crimea. It was decided by four men. Um, so... So, um, you know, that is, that is where we're now. If he decides that he hasn't squeezed us enough, that he hasn't humiliated NATO enough, I'd say, you know, fine. He, he'll, he'll, I don't know what he does for, for cold. It's very cold there. Um, but, but uh, you know, presumably they're, they're hardy 
boys and uh, and they'll stay there for months. Um, yeah, I mean, so one of the things that annoys me about this whole approach, which I wrote about in my LA Times column a couple of weeks ago, it, it gets to this point about just taking the meetings in the first place, which is that forget it bolstering Putin domestically. It also just sends the signal that um, there are important countries and unimportant countries, and the great powers are the ones who decide the fate of the little powers. And the, the Ukrainians, by not being full members of negotiations of their own fate, are treated as if they are bargaining, you know, this is back to Yalta kind of thinking, right? Exactly. And exactly. Um, but okay, so the the let's let's say I know this is you know this is sort of Herman Kahn thinking the unthinkable kind of thinking here, but let's say for just the sake of argument, just for giggles, Leon Aaron is wrong, and Putin does cross the border with a significant military, um, you know, presence. Uh, it starts rolling tanks towards Kiev. What do we do then? We do nothing. Do we nothing. Do no, no, we do nothing because the next thing Putin does is uh, 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 take take out the uh, nuclear cudgel, and and we know it. And 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 Jonah, I've, I've written about this. I'm writing about this in a book. Um, there's a whole chapter about this called "Worshiping the Nukes." Um, he has totally rebuilt modernized. And if you remember, uh, his most important address uh, to the Russian parliament, annual, state of Russia, essentially, um, uh, it's called the address to the Federal Assembly. He devoted one-fifth of it in 2018. Remember, he showed those apocalyptic modern weapons? I mean, videos. I mean, he really did video. And of course, yes, his critics said, oh, they look more like cartoons, whatever. Well, they're not cartoons. Uh, Some of them are being developed. Some of them are something that we, including hypersonic missiles, um, we have no, so far, no means to neutralize. And that was done. By the way, he also said, from now on, we will aim these and other weapons, not necessarily to the places where they installed, but to those who give a command to use, well, I mean, Absolutely no, no. We will not get involved. Um, and I think, I think, uh, Jonah, probably the 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 closest page that that could be taken is probably from, you know, uh, a Reagan's playbook in Afghanistan. I mean, to you know, we 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 help we help Ukrainian guerrillas. Uh, they, he, I don't think Putin get all the way west. He is not crazy to go all the way to Lviv, where where they fought the Soviets like crazy at the end of World War II and after World War II, where they are absolutely fearless um, Ukrainian patriots. And so there'll be, there'll be pockets of resistance. They'll be killing Russian soldiers. We'll help them to kill Russian soldiers, but I think that's it. I mean, I don't know if we'll give them... By the way, there was a talk of stingers, uh, which is very important. Um, I think that's just... That's all we'll do. So, so just to clarify, when you say we do nothing. When you initially said we do nothing, you're, you mean not sending American exactly, troops or anything. Exactly. I'm sorry. You'd, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're still, in, you would be in favor of some sort of sanctions oh, and be, lethal aid. No, 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 there'll, be, there'll, be there'll be tremendous sanctions. There'll be, um, you know, like I said, um, again, depending on, on NATO, but I think even in that case, even Germany, I think will probably cancel Norgos too. 
Um, remember, John, there, there, there are only few sanctions that actually work. All these little, you know, uh, uh, personal sanctions don't work. They, they don't care. Oil and gas um, uh, are parts for their, their uh, you know, cyber parts, um, uh, cyber phones uh, parts. Uh, parts for cars, incidentally, they 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 import about ten billion. They don't they don't make anything anymore. Um, uh, there are several there are several function, uh, sanctions that could really hurt, and of course they're swift. You know that so that so that they cannot use their credit cards. So so I think that might all be deployed, and that's another reason why Putin is not going to do it. Although it's not the major reason. Um, and we should just explain: Swift is basically the network of how banks talk to each other and do transactions do accounting, and, yeah. and move dollars around the world and all that stuff. And taking them out of that basically removes them from the modern global economy. Correct. Which, you know. Correct. Exactly. exactly. Oh, there's, there's another, uh, while on it, um, sanctions, and I don't understand why we haven't done it so far, on the largest Russian banks, uh, Sberbank, Nishtorbank, um, which means that... that you know, they're, they're the holders of the national wealth. I mean, in addition to half a trillion dollar in the uh, National uh, Welfare Fund. Um, uh, and and the, the repercussion there is not so much that they are going to suffer, but, but they deal with, you know, investors, they deal with all sorts of people that hold their, their uh, shares and so on and so forth. That would be a huge blow to the Russian financial system. And remember, the Russians are very sensitive to the ruble against dollar. And, and the ruble will fall. I mean, it will, it will really plunge. And that is, you know, that is just, you know, not, not only economic, it's a, it's a moral thing. And, and, and again, I think Putin understands that, and that's another reason he's not going to do it. Um, and the reason why they're sensitive to the ruble to the dollar is because of the oil-based economy and the petrodollar stuff and all that. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, but but remember, I mean, we are now, you know, there's there's a lot of chest beating. We are America, in Putin's favorite expression, is listening to us. They are listening to us. They didn't listen. We forced them to listen, and all of a sudden, what you have seventy rubles per dollar. I mean, what are we, Turkey? <laughs> so so that that always had these types of repercussions but when the relationship were better okay so that they they felt okay ruble is up ruble is down dollar is up this is i mean you know if, if against your mortal enemy's currency you're plunging that's not a good thing for the leader so on what is your sort of so let's say we're in the elevator at ai and i said What's the deal with Germany? What would be your elevator explanation about what, what, what is it purely just the, the energy dependence play or is there something else going on? Um, John, I, as you know, you know, I, we have, we have uh, specialists on, on Ukraine. I'm, I'm sorry, on Germany. Um, just an amateur outside of you. I think, I think they're not entirely hypocritical when they say the memory of World War II. I mean, how many Ukrainians did they kill? Two, three, four, five million, probably. I mean, including Jews, probably ten. Yeah, I, right. Including Ukrainian Jews. Um, so there is there is hesitancy there to deploy means of violence. I, you know, I I don't think what part of it is politics and what part of it is hypocrisy. I think there's something to it. Well, the Greens are generally not the most belligerent uh, group of people. 
Um, and then, of course, yes, the, the shutting down of their nuclear reactors, by the way, this year, uh, we have to thank Merkel for that. Uh, and, uh, and their increased dependence on Russian gas. Um, so that's another, another issue. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, we always, I mean, or at least it seemed that, that generally the world, the world um, welcomed a more or less peaceable Germany. Uh, you know, you know and, and a good thing, of course, that, that after World War II, they said, I mean, we're, we're NATO member, but we're, you know, we're really not sending troops. We're really not deploying. We have this historical guilt. Well, maybe that's, that's part of it, but, but, but the politics of it and, and, of course, the politics of energy. If, what happens if, if the Russians stop selling them gas? Um, you know, it's going to be politically very detrimental to the current coalition. And so, I mean, I'm not trying to peddle conspiracy theories here. Uh, you know, you call yourself an amateur when it comes to Germany, then I'm whatever the below amateur is. But, you know, it is very strange. Like, like Gerhard Schrader oh, yes. goes off and becomes of the course. head of a yes. Russian energy company. Of and course. Is, of course. Yeah. And there's a lot of weird stuff there. Um, is... Is there an extent to which Russia's intrusion into German politics is is more nefarious than I've been reading about? I mean, again, I don't know, and I'm not trying to like twirl my mustache and come up with a tinfoil hat stuff here. But I, I just it that's just very strange. I mean, the idea of like a former American president or speaker of the house going off and working for a Russian energy concern would be weird, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, General, remember a soft spot for Germany in Putin's heart. Uh -huh. That's right. Uh, you know, they they say they say that uh, when he addressed uh, the Bundestag in German, uh, uh, Merkel uh, uh, leaned towards you know an official who was sitting next to her and said, "I guess there's something we should be grateful to the KGB for." Um, <laughs> so so he has a very soft spot. He actually befriended Schroeder. He loves Germany. Uh, by the way, he claims also that that Merkel's Russian is pretty good. He said it's a bit accented. Well, remember, she's an Austrian. She, is, she, is, she, she learned Russian. Um, and I think partly because of the bosses, and I'm talking about Putin, soft spot for the country. I mean, the, the resources uh, for bribery, for uh, some sort of soft power, which Russia doesn't do very well uh, in general, but maybe, maybe in Germany they do, because... He knows, he knows that country. He knows its culture. Um, so maybe that's, that's part of it. Um, uh, we know that he was, you know, personal friends with Germany. He had very good personal relationship with Merkel. Um, I think he knows top politicians there. Um, he probably, you know, when, when they go to various <laughs> country by country departments, um, needless to say, first is America. Um, and, but I think second might be Germany um, in his attention. And, uh, and uh, I think that might account for this, as you said, um, this nefarious kind of sleazy network um, of, of Russian penetration. On the other hand, London is not much better. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I, I don't want to keep you longer than I told you I would, but uh, just sort of let's assume we get through this without World War III. Um, and 
let's assume you're right that Putin becomes president for life. Um, where are you on your optimism and pessimism scale about Russia's prospects of becoming, getting back on a path towards being a normal quasi-democratic or on the path to quasi-democratic country? Or is this, is this going to be the same, is, is, when my daughter is my age, is she going to be looking at something like the same Russia still? So, so um, he, you know, a lot of fun is made of, you know, his, his deputy chief of staff at the time, uh, Volodin, said, uh, uh, where there's Putin, there's Russia, where there's no Putin, there's no Russia. And, you know, the critics made, you know, much sport of it. It's true, though. I'd say since Stalin, no uh, Soviet or Russian leader has deliberately and, and, and with a foresight remade the institutions of that country. It actually, even I will go even farther, remained the national identity of that country. The national identity, Putin said um, a couple of years ago, there's no other ideology for Russia except patriotism, which is fine. But, but that's, he doesn't define it as we define it. It's a weaponized patriotism. It's an activist patriotism. It's a patriotism that's, that, and, and you know, we can, we can talk about what he's actually done with it. Um, it's a patriotism that, that calls for defending the country and attacking its enemies. And that's, that's the narrative. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's narcotizing. Um, he also, unlike the Democrats of the Yeltsin era, he because he, he said uh, somewhere that, that I'm, a pro, I'm a typical product of the Soviet upbringing. And of course he is, uh, in addition to his being KGB. They, the Democrats underestimated, Jonah, the, the enormous trauma from the loss of the superpowership um, uh, um, when the Soviet Union fell apart. It's not just military. It is, we were equal to America. We provided a counterbalance incidental, not just, not just military, but moral. We have a different ideology. Um, we, we exercised moral as well as, you know, superpower-related control over, over the world. We divided the world with America, and look what we're now. He, in his terms, as he puts it, he uh, raised, the, raised Russia from its knees. He gave it, the Crimea gave him an enormous boost. And incidentally, he went from about 60% in uh, January of 2014 to 88% um, after Crimea. Um, same thing happened after, you know, the war in Georgia. Um, and, and every time there's a confrontation, his, his rating is, goes up. But the point is, he uh, also, I think, John, he created the most cynical regime in Russian history. And, and there's a lot of competition. Um, and, and it's completely meretricious. Um, the, the, there is no law of, I mean, actually, you know, even remembering my misspent Soviet youth, um, you know, you could go to court for certain things, not political things, but you could go to court for, you know, and, and, and expect a reasonable, you know, fair, uh, judgment. Forget it. You know, you know, I, who, who do you represent? Are you connected to the FSB? What, what do you want? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. You connected to the president, you connected to the governor. There's a complete, there's a terrific movie, um, uh, Leviathan, uh, which nearly got a beautiful Russian film, which nearly got an Oscar. I, um, 
it was nominated a few years ago. Um, it, it shows life in a, in a small Russian city. It's just, you know, the, the, the uh, prosecutor, the head of the, of the police, uh, the priest, <laughs> and the mayor. That's, you know, it's sort of, I guess you could say it's like Wild West um, at some point, but, you know, not in the 21st century. And so, and so that legacy, Jonah, it's all, and I could go on, that legacy is very difficult to share. I mean, yes, you know, the Russian tradition, the leader dies, the regime changes. But remember, and, and again, I'm not comparing the two, but remember, it took them, what, 40 years to shed the legacy of Stalinism because he completely remade the country. Okay, it's not the same scale so far. Uh, but I tell you, I think it, ask yourself, which Russian leader after Putin's death will return Crimea to Ukraine? I can't think of any. That would be the end of him. Uh, so, so that, he, he makes sure that there are these time bombs that he leaves behind um, that, that will be very difficult to, um, 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 you, know, you know, remove or make, make uh, secure. So, so I am pretty pessimistic. Uh, uh, even after his demise, even with the Russian tradition, by the way, you go back to the czars, as a rule, the next czar starts as a more liberal, and that's of course true of the Soviets, right? The Khrushchev after Stalin, um, they, they start at least as more liberal than the previous one. And I'm sure in certain ways, you know, if Navalny survives, maybe they'll let him out of jail. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll, maybe they'll, they'll ease up on the foreign agents. Um, they'll allow some freedom of, uh, you know, allow, for example, uh, some independent TV stations, right? Which don't exist anymore. Um, but but he he really remade Russia because he glummed on and sensed some some really deep yearnings of, of the Russians. And maybe, Jonathan, maybe the generation uh, of, you know, first of all, the Soviet generation, then the first post-Soviet generation has to go before they shed this nostalgia before they shed this illusion that they are a superpower and therefore entitled to rule the world with America. Yeah, I just, you know, if I'm a middle-class dad in some Russian city, I, 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 I still have a hard time getting my head around the idea that there are millions of people that would rather be seen as a equal to the United States rather than have like uncorrupt cops and judges. I mean, the, 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 the petty humiliations that must come from not having the rule of law and the concerns that you will not get justice if some grievous thing happens to your family, you would just think that that yearning would outweigh this strange obsession with superpower status. But, but, you know, you know, it's funny. Uh, um, the associates of the, the uh, actually um, uh, the uh, Levada Center did a very interesting study, which I'm going to cite in the book. And that's funny. It's paradoxically the opposite. Genre. They claim that, that the, the return to the great power status and the pride in it is a compensation for the daily insults and indignities 
they, they encounter in their life. And they have focus groups, and they, they're proving it. Um, and again, it's one of those paradoxes of, of human, of human uh, 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 psychology. It, you know, there's, I, I cite um, uh, a, a line from a great, a great Russian poem, uh, poet, Mikhail Lermontov, um, something to the effect that, yes, I'm a slave, but I'm a slave to the master of the universe. <laughs> and that is at least one of the answer to your, to your question. Uh, yes, I am, yeah, I'm downtrodden here, uh, but, but the state is great and, and it's glory. And I'm, you know, to the extent that I can, I bask in its glory. Well, on that depressing note, <laughs> I want to thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope you'll come back, um, preferably to say, I told you so, because all your predictions will have turned out to be correct. Um, um, and if not, to maybe explain what went <laughs> <Right>. wrong <laughs> um, from our bunker or whatever. Uh, but Leon Aaron, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you, Jonah. Thanks a lot. Okay, so Leon has left the studio. Again, I hope the audio worked out okay. Um, always love listening to Leon. Uh, he's uh, encyclopedic about all this stuff. I hope he's, well, for the most part, I hope he's right about Putin and Ukraine. I hope he's maybe a little too pessimistic about the future of Russia, but who knows? Um, all I can be sure of is that he comes by his opinions and judgments honestly. Um, he's a really wonderful guy and it was great to have him on and fingers crossed that this time the audio actually makes it out into the universe. So thanks again to Leon Aaron and, um, thank you all for listening and I'll see you next time. Uh, yep. Это подкаст.